who do you say Jesus Christ is? I see the good that he's done, but I see him more as like, um, like he was a real person, but I don't see him as kind of a, a god or anything. Messenger of God, son of God, yeah. From the culture I grew up, they say he's a prophet. Uh, so I think he should be probably, you know, you could learn a lot from him and, you know, be respected, something like that. Due to the natural non-divinity of normal people, I'm inclined to believe he was not divine. I think Jesus is who they say he is. He died on the cross for us. He did everything he could to share his blood for us to live right. That's a good question. I mean, I was raised Catholic, but I actually haven't given it a lot of serious thought in a long time. So it might be something I have to think about. Yeah. Please turn with me to John chapter 14. Uh, as you can see in the culture that we live in today, uh, people like to pick and choose what they believe about Jesus. All right? Jesus is seen uh, kind of as a, a matter of preference rather than a matter of life and death. And certainly there are a lot of issues in our lives that are just matters of preference, right? It doesn't really matter what we believe. It's not going to have a great impact on life now or certainly on eternity. For example, in my house, uh, I prefer dark chocolate and my kids like uh, milk chocolate. And that arrangement has really worked out quite well because since I do more of the grocery shopping, I just buy dark chocolate, right? But we had a, a, an unfortunate turn of events in this last year. Both of my kids decided that they no longer had a preference. They now like both. And so, you know, it's not insurmountable. I just buy it and hide it now, right? But it's just preference, right? It's just preference. That's it. It's not really that critical. But there are other matters in this life that are black and white. They are matters in a sense of life and death. When you climb on an airplane, you want to know that the engineer believed that there were physical laws in the universe that governed his work, physical laws in the universe to which he was compelled to submit. And if he chose not to, it really was a matter of life and death. And so which is Jesus? Is Jesus merely a, a, a preference issue or is what you believe about Jesus a matter of life and death? Again, in our culture, uh, Jesus is seen mostly as a matter of preference. Religion itself is just a matter of preference. In fact, there was a study done just a few years back by the Pew Research Center, and what they discovered was uh, in the United States of America, 75% of Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. 75% of Americans believe many religions can lead to eternal life. What's more startling is 57% of evangelical Christians agree. Fifty-seven percent of Christians who worship in churches like this agree. Many religions can lead to eternal life. But Jesus doesn't really leave us that option, does he? He says this, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's a very exclusive statement, isn't it? But it's, it's not exclusionary. Because Jesus says, I want everyone to come to the Father. I want everyone to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. But they have to come through me. They have to come through me. I'd like for us to read John chapter 13 as we study this next I am statement of Jesus. It's in chapter 14, verse 6. But I'd like for us to begin reading in chapter 13 and verse 33. Jesus says, Little children... I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me, 
And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. But do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Here's the setting. John chapter 13, Jesus shared his final meal with his disciples. Jesus knew that it was his final meal, but the disciples didn't know that it was the final meal. And then this final meal, the disciples' hearts are troubled. They are stirred up. They are troubled by many things. They're troubled by the fact that Jesus just washed their feet. That was pretty disturbing for them. And it was an uncomfortable thing to have the master washing their feet. And the process took way too long. As he silently went around from foot to foot to foot. They were troubled by this. They were troubled by the fact that none of them had thought to wash his feet. They're troubled by the fact that Jesus wants them to wash one another's feet. And they really don't want to wash one another's feet. They're troubled by the fact that Jesus has said that he's going away. They're troubled by the fact that he said someone is going to deny him. Troubled by the fact that Peter specifically pointed out that he's going to deny Jesus. Troubled by the fact that Jesus has said over and over and over again he's going to be crucified, he's going to be rejected. Jesus is revealing to them things that are not according to the plan that they had mapped out. It's not what they expected from Jesus. Their hearts are deeply stirred up. They are troubled. In the midst of all this, Jesus says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You don't need to be troubled because you have me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. First lesson that I would like to draw from John chapter 14 is this. The way of Jesus, the way which is Jesus, calms our troubled hearts. The way of Jesus calms our troubled hearts. I expect that uh, some of you came in this morning with trouble on your heart. You got dressed up nicely and uh, scrubbed up and did your hair and everything seems very put together but you probably brought in some some troubles that were on your heart. Uh, And you look around you and you see all of these other people who are pretty well put together for the morning. But I promise you, sitting around you, people who brought troubles in. Because we all carry them. What troubles you? What troubles you most in life? I remember when my kids were little, they were troubled by the dark. (laughs) They're really troubled by the dark. They would call out from the dark to me and Tristy. And what I learned in time was that they weren't actually troubled by the dark. They were troubled by being alone in the dark, right? Because when I would come in or Trissy would come in and just sit with them and be with them, the dark wasn't frightening any longer. Right? The dark could actually be a game, 
Right? We could tell stories or we could play with a flashlight or we could just cuddle. The dark wasn't frightening any longer. What they were afraid of was being alone in the dark. When they were little, they were also troubled by plans changing. They wanted to know far in advance what we were going to do. And when we told them what we were going to do and then changed that plan, that was troubling because they wanted to have a sense of security in the knowledge and possibly control of the outcome of events. They were troubled when things didn't work out as they anticipated. The disciples are troubled. They're troubled at the thought of being left alone and in a sense being left in the dark by plans changing from what they expected and what they anticipated and they are stirred up. That word troubled literally means to stir up. A few chapters earlier, it's used in reference to the waters of the pool being stirred up by the angel. Here it's used metaphorically of the heart being stirred up. There being anxiety, anxiousness, vexation in the heart. We live in a culture in which people are troubled. They are anxious. Just this morning I got online, I was thinking about this topic, and I discovered that in our country, almost 20% of people have some form of an anxiety disorder. So it doesn't include depression and other things that are related to that, but just anxiety, stress, We live in an anxious culture, a culture that's stirred up. The disciples are stirred up and they're anxious. And what do they need? Well, the only thing that will calm their troubled hearts is the presence of Jesus. They need Jesus. Remember last week, we talked about the story of the disciples rowing across the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes up and we are told again that their hearts are troubled. They are fearful. They're afraid of the storm. They're afraid that they're going to die. And then they're even more afraid when they see a figure walking across water. They haven't seen that before could be a ghost. They don't know. And what is it that calms their troubled hearts? Jesus gets in the boat. It's the presence of Jesus. And then all of their troubles disappear. We're told that after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples are troubled again. They've heard that there have been sightings of Jesus, but they don't know what to make of it, and they're troubled. And what is it that calms their hearts? Well, Jesus steps into the room with them. It's his presence. And they, he says, touch me. See that I am with you. It is the presence of Jesus. You know, it's only the presence of Jesus that brings deep and lasting calm to a troubled heart. There are things that are, that are substitutes that seem to bring peace to the heart, but they just simply do not last. I remember when I was a, a student at a and it was in the, in the early 80s, and New Age movement had really kind of started to take off in the 70s, and then the 80s it was full force. Right? And all things Eastern were very popular, so meditation began to be very popular. You could go to you know, classes or seminars or read books or get a, you know, a set of, of cassette tapes and put in your car and learn to meditate. Right? Some of you remember this. Even into businesses, sometimes they would uh, bring a yogi or a guru right, to teach people to calm down in the workforce. Right? And you might be given a break time where you could go off in a room and learn to meditate. Problem was, when you finished meditating, right, all the ohms stopped. Nothing had changed. You hadn't changed and the circumstances hadn't changed. And so all of the troubles entered back into your heart and began to stir again. What the disciples needed, what we need, what the world needs is the presence of Jesus. Look at chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And there are three truths that Jesus gives them to calm their troubled hearts. The first is this. Jesus is preparing our home. Read with me again chapter 14 and verse 1. 
Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I grew up in a church that used the King James Bible, and the King James translation says, in my Father's house are many mansions. And even as a kid, I thought, mansions? I don't think I need a mansion. I like visiting a mansion, but having a mansion all to myself, that'd be kind of lonely, right? Because you think of a mansion, it's a huge building on a lot of acreage, and having that all to yourself... You might feel wealthy, but you also might feel lonely. Word mansion is not a good translation for this at all. The word mansion actually came in through the Latin Vulgate, and then Tyndale, William Tyndale, picked it up and put it in the English translation. King James picked it up. Back in Tyndale's time, mansion meant a stopping place along a journey. But the Greek idea, the Greek word here, is actually from an Eastern concept in which the father would build his home. And he would build rooms for each of his children in that home. And then when his sons married, each of his sons would build a home attached to his home or another room and so on as each child built a room. And pretty soon you would have a ring of houses or ring of rooms with a courtyard in the middle. And this is what Jesus is referencing. He's saying, in my father's house, there are many rooms. His point is there is space for everyone (laughs) There's space for everyone. That's what Jesus is trying to emphasize here. There's plenty of room for everyone. Why? Because the father wants everyone to be in his home. And the son wants everyone to know his father. Let me illustrate. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Peter observes, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance so that they can know the father and have eternal life. Whereas Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone in. Jesus wants everyone to know his heavenly father. So I have a question for you, and I won't ask you to uh, raise your hand or anything like that. But when you have a party and you invite people into your home, who do you invite? People you like or people you don't like? Invite people you like, correct? Yeah, you do. You invite people you like even if you don't want to admit at this point. I doubt that any of you have a conversation if you are married with your spouse. Who should we invite? Who don't we like? Let's include them in the list. No, you say, should we invite him? No, (laughs) right? That's not how God invites people. Jesus told a parable. It's it's a parable, but in the parable, it's really clear who each of the players are. It's a parable about a father who has a son. And the son is getting married. The Father is God. The Son is Jesus. The bride is the church. And in the parable, the Father wants everyone to come to this party that he's holding for his son and his son's new bride. And so he he spreads the table again. And it's, it's a lavish affair. He is a king, after all. But those who are invited don't want to come because they're busy with all of their own things. And they say, no, 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 I don't want to come. And so the king says to his servants, go out into the highways and the byways and invite anyone and everyone who will come to this celebration of my son's wedding. And so the slaves go out and we're told in the parable that included in this group are both the evil and the good. Anyone who is willing to come. Because that's who God invites. There is plenty of room in the father's house. And the place is prepared. It's ready for the party. 
John chapter 14, verse two, again, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you for I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is anticipating your arrival. Jesus is preparing for your arrival. Jesus can't wait for your arrival. It's a great story, Acts chapter 6. It's significant for many reasons, one of which is that it's the martyrdom of Stephen, who's the, the first Christian to be martyred in the church. But what stands out to me most in that story is right at the end, when Stephen is about to die, the rocks are finally pounding the life out of his body, and he, he looks up and he says, forgive them, right? Just as Jesus did on the cross. He says, forgive them. And then heaven is opened up and he gets a glimpse into the throne room of God. And we uh, get to glimpse into the throne room of God with him. And what he sees is this, Jesus is standing up to welcome him. What's striking about that is everywhere in the New Testament, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Jesus is sitting. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father. Why? Because all of his work is done. He died on behalf of our sins. He paid the penalty. God raised him from the dead, demonstrating that he has the power over life. And then Jesus sits down. Done. He's done. Work accomplished. But when one of his children dies and is being brought into heaven, Jesus stands. It's such a beautiful picture. Jesus stands to welcome him. In January, uh, Tristy and I went to celebrate our uh, 20th year anniversary. Anniversary was actually in March, but we celebrated in January. Went to Cancun, all inclusive. Awesome. (laughs) I loved it. And you could tell that they were ready for us. We got off the plane down in Mexico, and uh, there was a black SUV waiting just for us. We hop in this SUV, driver hands us a bottle of ice water and a cold towel, and we wipe ourselves off, drives us through uh, downtown Cancun and up toward the resort. As we got to the resort, the bellman opens the door and says to us, welcome home. I kid you not, that's their line, welcome home. (laughs) They were ready for us, they were prepared. He took our bags up to our room, and across the door of our room it said, happy anniversary. And I'm thinking, Did I tell someone, maybe when we registered, how did they know? They knew, somehow they knew. Happy anniversary, we walk inside and there are all these little uh, mementos, markers of the fact that it's our anniversary. Every evening there's chocolates on our pillow and there's a weather report for the next day and all of the activities that are prepared and laid out for us, they were ready for us. When we checked out, they said, when will you be returning home? (laughs) Here, right? Welcome, just get out your checkbook, right? And book your next reservation home. Jesus is prepared for us. Jesus is welcoming us. There is room, plenty of room. And the room for us will be amazing. I want you to mark your place here in John 14. Turn to the book of Revelation, final book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 21, the home of God, so to speak, is described Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. There's no longer any threat. And I saw the holy city, God's home, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like very costly stone as a stone of crystal, clear jasper. It is beautiful. And we're told in the book of Revelation, it is massive. 
It is perfect and it is permanent for you. Jesus says to his disciples, yes, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving to prepare a place for you. Second, Jesus will return for us. Yes, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving to prepare a place for you. Yes, I'm leaving, but I will come back. Chapter 14 of John and verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I'll come back for you. What were the disciples afraid of? What was troubling their hearts? Being alone, being without Jesus, being left behind. Look at chapter 16, verse 16. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while you'll see me because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. What is he talking about? Of course they didn't have the courage just to ask him. And even when he told them they didn't understand, what were they afraid of? They are afraid of being left alone. Jesus says to them, I, I I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come back for you. What is he talking about? Talking about the rapture of the church. And when he's talking about the rapture of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, what's going to happen is something like this. We will continue along in our daily activities, going to the grocery store and bringing the food home, preparing our food, cleaning our homes, raising our children, going to work, going to school, going to class, doing our homework. And then in a moment, we're told in the twinkling of an eye, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus will descend, a shout, sound of a trumpet, voice of an archangel, and we will be caught up. That's what rapture means. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord forever. Jesus is telling the church for the first time, I will come back for you. I will come back for you. I will not leave you alone. Third, Jesus has not left us alone. Chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. In Greek, there are actually two words for another. Uh, Heteros means another of a different kind. This is alos, another of the same kind. I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another helper because I'm your helper, but he's going to give you another helper, a helper that is like me and he will be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will give you another helper. I will not leave you alone. Verse 23, Jesus answered and he said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. Same word as room. We will dwell together with him. Verse 26, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you with the Spirit. We don't like to be left alone, do we? I think one of the most frightening things to consider is being left alone in a foreign country right? where you, you don't know the language or you don't know the culture. 
The frightening thing, when I moved to Prague, I remember trying to learn the city on my own, and I got lost a lot. And I couldn't ask anyone for directions because I only knew like four words in Czech, and they were all numbers. Like I knew one, two, three, four. <laughs> I didn't know how to get it. I was lost. That can be a frightening thing. I had another experience uh, when I was uh, in Guatemala, and I wasn't frightened. I knew a little bit of the language, but the reason I wasn't frightened is because I was with a missionary who had lived there his entire life. He knew the language, he knew the culture, he knew the geography of the city, he knew the geography of the entire country, and everywhere you went, people knew him. So it wasn't a frightening thing to travel with him, although I will say I was driving in that country, and that can be a a frightening thing. But as long as I stayed with him, I was okay. I remember one day, we had two vans, a large group of Aggies that I was taking down there. So we had two vans, and Bob Enriquez, the missionary, he drove one van and I drove the other. And he said, as we drive through Guatemala City, stay with me. And what he meant by that was, I mean, like literally, stay. He said, you can be right on my bumper. If you bump me, that's okay. These are your vans. So don't worry about it. Just stay right, right on me. So we came to an intersection. When I say an intersection, there was, a, 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 I would have called it an unregulated highway. Right? There, there were lanes, five lanes going each direction, which practically speaking, there's like 17 lanes going each direction. Right, Nobody obeying any kind of laws. There were no lights whatsoever. And we pulled up and we had walkie-talkies. And he said, remember when I said, stay with me? I said, yeah. He said, stay with me. I mean, really, right with me, right on my bumper. And what he would do is, as soon as there was a gap in the first lane, he would pull right in and block that lane. And then when there was another gap, he would pull in and block the second lane. And so I had to be right behind him so that no one could squeeze through and open up the traffic again. So he would pull up a lane and I would pull right behind him. And then he'd pull another, I'd pull right behind him. And you know, traffic is blocked up for miles, just honking at us. But I was at peace because I was with Bob, right? And so it was like a version of Frogger. We just moved our way across the 17 lane highway. I really didn't know where we were going. He told me a name of a place, but I didn't know the geography. I didn't know the roadways. And even if I had known the roadways, I don't think I could have gotten across that road by myself. But I was with Bob. And Bob knew the way. Bob knew how to get there. And I could trust him. Jesus says to the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Trust me. It's not just that I know the way, I am the way. First lesson, Jesus, the way of Jesus is the only thing that calms our troubled hearts. Second, the way of Jesus leads us to the Father. Chapter 14 and verse 5. John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, you can just you can hear the frustration in his voice. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How could we possibly know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. And now Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works that you have seen. Just believe because of those. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he's not really talking about three separate things. He's saying, I am the way because I am the truth about God. I'm I'm the truth about God, the Heavenly Father. And he's the one that you need to be with to have life. Well, I am the way to him because I'm the truth about him. In fact, the great passion of Jesus' life was to reveal the Father. He didn't want to seek glory for himself. He wanted to seek glory that he could pass along to the Father. That's why he came, to reveal the Father to us. Turn to John chapter 1 and verse 1. John opens his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He begins his gospel of Jesus Christ not using the name of Jesus Christ. He calls him the Word. Clearly, there's a reference back to the book of Genesis, and it was through the Word that God created. So Jesus is the agent, in a sense, of creation. He is the logos in that sense. But it's more than that. John opens his gospel with a metaphor. He's calling Jesus the Word. Is Jesus literally a Word? No. Jesus is a person. But he calls him the Word because he's also the revelation of God. And he's a revelation that we can understand. Why? Because he's God in human flesh. He's God revealed to us in a way that is translated for us. Jesus would say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. But you can't see the Father. But if you see me, you have seen the Father. Get it? Yeah. Jesus is the revelation of God. Chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh, just like us. And he dwelt among us, which literally means he, he set up his tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. What was the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It was an image or a visual of the throne room of God. And the glory of God would come down to the tabernacle and visit the people there at the tabernacle. It says Jesus set up his tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to see what God is like? Look at Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. As it says in the Old Testament, no one can see me and live. No one has seen God at any time. However, the only begotten God who is in the very heart of the Father, he has explained him, he has exegeted him, He has drawn him out. He's translated him for us so that we can understand who he is. The great passion of Jesus was to reveal the Father. In John chapter 14, speaking to his disciples, he calls his Father by name 20 times in one single chapter. Jesus is the way to God because he reveals the truth about God. Jesus is the way to God because life is found only in God the Father. Look at John chapter 8, again in verse 51. John chapter 8, verse 51. So we said this is really the the heart of the I am statements. It doesn't say I am something, just I am. John chapter 8, verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, "Now now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. 
Prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. So Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was born, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am life. I am, I'm, I'm self-existent. Not dependent upon any other thing or any other person. I am. Because God is. Right? God is. That is, God has life in himself. And if you want to have life, you can only have life by getting to the Father. And the only way to get to the Father is through the Son. And if you don't want the Son, you can't have the Father. Chapter 8, verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. But since you don't want me, you can't have my father. Because I am the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. No one can come to the father except through me. But we don't want to go through Jesus, right? In the world that we live in, people, people don't want to go God's way. They want to go their, their own way. Do you know that there are approximately 4,300 religions in the world? That's a lot of religions. That's a lot of ways that think that they're going to God. Now, before I decided to go to Dallas Seminary, I actually applied for a couple different master's programs, and two of those were in comparative religions, Masters in Comparative Religions. And the the basic philosophy of these programs is that all roads lead to God. All roads are leading to the same place. They're all leading to God. And we need to study the differences, but also look for that kernel of truth that is shared among all of them because all peoples are seeking after God. All of these world religions, the proliferation of thousands of world religions demonstrates that all people want to find God. Romans 1 says all of these religions demonstrate that people don't want to find God. They want to find their own way. And they are rejecting God who has revealed one way to create their own. As one of the the sages of our modern culture has observed, Oprah Winfrey, she said, all around the world, people are discovering that God, or the gods, or the goddess, or the spirit of awe, is nearer than has often been taught, and that the divine can be accessed by anyone, anywhere. In every faith tradition, in every corner of the globe, Men and women are are discovering that faith is an encounter of love and that human beings can trust themselves to find God and grace wherever the sacred might be discerned. That's the world that we live in. All roads lead to God. But have you ever thought about this? It's an interesting fact that that metaphor is chosen because all roads never lead to the same place, do they? (laughs) That's what we have roads for, to take us to different places, right? In fact, if you look at a really steep mountain, how many roads go to the top? Just just one. Just one. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is one way, there is one road, and it's me. It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus. That's how you find the Father. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And what is that name? Jesus. Only Jesus. It's just the name of Jesus. As Paul tells Timothy, there is just one God and there is one mediator also between God and man. That is the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Is Jesus exclusive? Absolutely. He says, I am the way and I am the only way. But he's not exclusionary. He's opening up the door wide and saying to whoever wishes, please come be with the Father. As John writes, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies Father and Son. Do you want the Father? Then you have to come through the Son. That's the only way. So, what does that say about things that are not the way? Sincerity is not the way. It doesn't matter how deeply or passionately someone believes a lie, it's still a lie. And a lie can't get you to truth. It's not about sincerity. It's not about effort. It's not about doing more good or transforming yourself because the standard to be in fellowship with God, the Heavenly Father, is absolute perfection. As it says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the absolute perfection of God. And no one can measure up. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's not that, well, yeah, certainly I can't reach perfection, but I can get to the 51st percentile, right? So I'm better than most of the people around me. No, it's, it's in or out. It's, it's black or white. It's truth or a lie. And the truth is Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. And Jesus' great passion in life was to reveal that way, to open up the way to the Father, to lead us to the Father. So how do you get there? Well, in John's gospel... Uh, John uses the word believe or faith 98 times. John's gospel is about revealing the Father and leading people to believe in him. It's about faith. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Faith that Jesus died for your sins and that he was raised from the dead. And that through him and him alone, you can have the removal of the dead of sins and eternal life. Life that lasts forever with God. And all that you do to believe in a sense is just reach out and say, God, thank you. I accept the free gift. No longer will I work to make myself better, to make myself acceptable to you. Instead, I will accept the fact that Jesus Christ makes me acceptable to you. And in that process, be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. No longer will I compare myself to those around me and say, well, I'm better than at least 49% of the people around me. Maybe 50, maybe a little more. And instead, I'll look to the perfection of Christ and say, God, thank you for giving me the perfection of Christ. I receive a free gift. A free gift without conditions, without strings. When you do that, the debt of sins is removed forever. And God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever and who will change you and mold you and make you to become more and more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Believe. So how do we apply this message this morning, I have a couple thoughts for you. First, you know, the, the disciples in this moment were, they were right on the verge of catastrophic life failure. Right? They're all troubled and they're worried about what Jesus is saying to them, but they don't know how actually bad they're, they're going to fail in just a few hours. 
They are going to turn away from Jesus. They're going to reject the one they've been following for three years. They're, they're going to be ashamed of him. They're going to go into hiding. They won't want to come out of their room. All that they've given their lives to, they're, they're just going to, they're going to throw it away. It's going to be a horrible moment. They are about to fail completely. And yet, Jesus, knowing all of that that's about to transpire, he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You may fail me, but I will not fail you. (laughs) You may fail me, but I will not fail you. And I won't leave you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come back for you, and I will give you my spirit. I will not fail you. Three thoughts for you. First is this. Bring your troubles to Jesus today. Again, I promise you, people sitting all around you are carrying really heavy burdens. And they, they walk in and they smile along with you, but they're carrying heavy burdens. You know, it's okay that you're carrying heavy burdens. Life is hard. You know, what, what really troubles us most is life, right? Because life is hard. Life is uncertain. Life is short. That's troubling. Bring that to Jesus today. Bring it to Jesus. It's not as if your circumstances in this life will immediately change, but you'll be reminded that eternity is secure and you have the presence of the Spirit. I want to encourage you, unload that on Jesus today. Uh, maybe you need someone to pray with you. We have folks who, who come up front every week and they'd love to just uh, hear what's burdening your heart and pray with you. Again, not to solve the problem, but just to be with you in the presence of God and to pray for you. Or maybe uh, you walked in with a friend and you need to tell that friend that you are burdened today. You need to not be proud, but to humble yourself and say, please, would you pray with me? So I'm carrying something really heavy. Jesus carries those things for us. Second, uh, believe in Jesus today. If you haven't believed in Jesus yet, today. Why not today? What would hold you back today? Today, cry out to God and say, God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he removed the debt of my sins. I don't want to wait any longer. Thank you. I believe. I encourage you, if you've not made that decision to do so today, And then third, let's share Jesus today. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Was he lying? Was he he delusional? I think he was telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, church, we need a much greater sense of urgency, a much greater sense of compassion for our friends and family who don't know Jesus. It's not compassionate for us to not tell them about Jesus because we're afraid that they will reject us or ridicule us. If we deeply love someone and we know the only way to have eternal life is through Jesus, then we must tell him. We must. And it is my prayer for us as a church that we would allow God's spirits to stir us up so much that we would look for and seek after those opportunities to tell about Jesus because he is the way the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but through Jesus. Let's love them by telling them about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would not hold back. I thank you that we know this truth, but this truth is not for us to just to to hoard to ourselves. It's a, a stewardship that we treasure, but we also give away. I pray, Father, this morning that you would uh, place specifically on our hearts men and women, boys and girls that we know that don't know Jesus. We would have the courage and the boldness to speak of him. Pray that your spirit would move in such a way that life would be produced in their hearts. That they would know with great confidence that no matter what troubles we face in this life, they have life forever. Father, I pray that you would make that happen through the powerful name of Jesus. Only Jesus. Amen. 
God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, Parents, thank you for entrusting your kids to us for a brief while.